All right. So um, it's built in to, to the life of, of being a church that we, we live in a community. And being part of a community means that we must live with other people, right? Sometimes we might say things like, uh, I love my family, just the people are difficult. Well, the thing, the same is sometimes true of our church, right? If our, we love our families, but the members are difficult. Well, we love our church indeed, but it is full of people and, uh, by definition, full of sinful people. No matter how joyous it might be to be in a community, and it is joyous, it inevitably is complex and, and even sometimes hard. We all process how to apply uh, truths of the Christian faith in different ways and can come to very firm conviction about those applications. And it can be difficult for each of us at times to, to keep track of, of what is the doctrine that we have derived directly from Scripture and what is the best application of it. And although at times doctrine has itself, doctrine itself has actually caused problems in churches, most often, actually, it's, it's our practice, our application of truth that creates the most divisions among God's people. Usually we disagree about our practice, our implementation rather than our theology. And on that note, sometimes, sometimes we are really good at distinguishing what uh, the fundamental and crucial aspects of the Christian life are from our preferences in non-essential matters. Other times, though, we are so fixed on, on what we think must be the correct practice, it is hard for us to bear with Christians who see things differently than we do. Well, certainly, now we need to be clear, certainly there are non-negotiable Christian views about some practices, you know, such as marriage, such as the necessity of the church, the necessity of the church, that we need to go and be a part of one. Um, on the other hand, a lot of issues requ- require wisdom, and there's not always a clear-cut answer. And in those situations, we actually have to learn to bear with one another, to be patient. Uh, oftentimes, we can insist on our applications because we think it at least supports essential godliness. But the Westminster Confession, six, uh, chapter 16, section 1, affirms good works are only such as God has commanded in his holy word and not as such without the warrant thereof are devised by men out of blind zeal or upon any pretense of good intention. In other words, if our application of the truth does not correspond to the scripture, then there is a chance that we have invented a law and we have no right to demand that God's people keep it. First Corinthians is a book about life in the church, as we have reminded ourselves several times in the last week. In this letter, Paul took on a series of pastoral issues to recalibrate how this church was conducting itself. 
there were divisions in the church because they had lost sight of the basics of the gospel and were caught in their own preferences. One of those issues concerned eating food sacrificed to idols, which was a discussion that he began all the way back in chapter 8. Some insisted that because idols are not real gods, it makes no difference if we eat the food that was sacrificed to them, whether that be a meal that took place in the actual temple just after the sacrifice was made or buying the meat from a stand in the market. Now, chapter 10 begins as he addresses the church about how the fact that the covenant community includes uh, those who have strong, weak, or merely professed but actually non-existent faith, that mixed nature of the community means that we must conduct ourselves well for our neighbor's benefit. So our main point is that the rule of love must govern our application of truth because our neighbor's everlasting life is at stake. So maybe you can pick up a a similar note from this morning, from our time in Jude, right? This morning, uh, we were thinking about contend for the faith, contend for our doctrine because our neighbor's Uh, everlasting life could be at stake in this. And now we are thinking about kind of the other side of this, contend for right application and practicing it well because our neighbor's everlasting life may be at stake. So we'll think about this in three points. Uh, Right doctrine, rule of love, and responding now. So right Doctrine. And here in this point, I want to think about how this text prompts us uh, to mind our doctrine correctly. We do have to start there again. In this passage, Paul reflected on the events of Numbers 14. We read that passage this morning. We considered it some a bit together. Uh, in that portion of Scripture, God destroyed the Israelites through an enemy army. Uh, and this is the event that Paul is referring to in, in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 5. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Uh, the SV has a little footnote there that this could be translated. They were laid low in the wilderness. Some have suggested uh, sort of glossing this very interpretively. Their bodies were thrown about in the wilderness uh, which would make it correspond to the language of Numbers 14 that we read this morning, that their bodies would be strewn and, and left there in the wilderness. The, 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 the point, though, the place indication in verse 5, in the wilderness, is key. Because that designation is not just that they were, it's not just that they happened to be in a forest or a desert or something like that. But it's it's noting a particular season of Israel's history before they entered the promised land, the time of being in the wilderness. Now we noted this morning, Jude referred to the same event, and his point was contend for the faith once delivered, because Jesus destroyed those in the covenant community who did not believe. Jude's application to contend for the faith emphasizes the the theological application, whereas 
Paul's exhortation here is more practically oriented, that we mind the rule of love in the way that we work out our doctrine. Still, I think to keep the point in context, uh, and we are, we are going to move pretty quickly to application of this idea, though. We can note a doctrinal feature that has supreme importance for the way that we think about the truth. Right? If, if we think back, uh, we have recapped chapter 8 uh, up until our present verses. But if we remember that the discussion here started back in chapter 8 about eating food, sacrificed to idols... Well, in chapter 8, verse 4, we, we see the rationale for those who want to eat this food. It says there, Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. And Paul conceded that their, their theological argument was basically true. Okay, but then in chapter 10, he's noting how their use of this point was basically destroying other members of the covenant community. So they may have had a point. The way they were working it out was detrimental. And so the point I want to make is that as we... Uh, in line with our exhortation this morning, as we contend for the faith and double down on our doctrine, we need to make sure that we are not abusing or manipulating points of truth in order to get our way. Our congregation is full of intelligent and theologically well-informed people. And one of the possible dangers, I've not ever seen this happen, so I'm not suggesting that, but it's good to be mindful. One of the possible dangers when we know a lot is that we can take a truth and spin it to justify what we want to do. And, and we see that sort of happening here in First Corinthians. The idols aren't real. Don't worry about it. I can do what I want with that food. I think as another example, right, there's a, there's a well-known theolo- uh, theologian in America. And he once wrote, uh, uh, I thought it was a, an odd article. But he was defending that Christians should, or at least, you know, shouldn't have second thoughts about watching movies with graphic nudity in them. Uh, His argument was that these movies don't cause him to lust, and strong faith shouldn't be lured away by it anyway. So why shouldn't we watch movies with graphic nudity? I, I fully realize, right, you know, I need to concede. This is an issue of conscience and wisdom, you know, uh, I'm not here to, to dictate your own decisions. But for my own part, if I know that a movie contains, you know, nudity like this, I'm not going to watch it. I, I don't think I earn God's favor by avoiding them, so I'm not a legalist, right? This is not about 
maintaining my relationship with God, but it is about what is profitable for my soul. There is a real difference in movies, right? You know, some of the arguments is, you know, it's all pretend. Well, there is a difference between what is actually pretend, like when two actors fight, you know, in a choreographed battle in which no one actually dies in real life, and between reality, like when a man or a woman is not pretending to be, but genuinely is naked on the screen. So it does not matter to me if this tempts me. My opinion is that I should not endorse the practice and display of immorality with my money or my time. Who cares if there are other great things about some movie or a show? You know, one of the default things is there are so many other redeeming qualities, right? There There are other things to watch and read whatever that will benefit you and contain great things that are not also filled with filth. So in my estimation, the point, right, in my estimation, this theologian who's made this argument has taken bits of the truth. You know, these things, we should, we're beyond these things, right? Strong faith is intended by this. If He's taken truths like that and weaponized them to justify what he wants to do, in my opinion. There are millions of specific applications at this point, right? I mean, there there genuinely are. But the principle is that we must take care not only to contend for the faith by knowing the truth, but also by making sure that we do not take precisely formulated truths and spin them to justify sinful or even just unhelpful practices, right? We have to use our right doctrine Uh, for good purposes, not to get what we want. And that brings us to our second point, the rule of love. Uh, Right, the last last point was about how we cannot weaponize our doctrine to get our way. But we need to understand it and use it with precision and care. And we can push that further now to show how Paul frames that need uh, by the rule of love. In chapter 9, Paul stated the truth that those who labor in gospel ministry have the right to make their living from it. He also affirmed that because he thought this right may have been an obstacle for the Corinthians to come and to grow in faith, he, he did not insist upon it. And so he applied that truth using the rule of love. He did not take a doctrine and drive it home to get his way. And that is in stark contrast to how some of the Corinthians were applying their doctrine, right? Rather than understanding the truth and finding the application that is not only calibrated to the truth, but helpful to the most people, they had fashioned the application that was most helpful to themselves and to what they wanted. We, I, I mean, I think we all admit you know, it's, it's not a controversial thing to admit that selfishness is bad. Um, Paul points out, however, that more is at stake than simply whether or not we are being petty and selfish in these things. People's lives, everlasting life at that, is at stake 
in our application of the truth. Jude highlighted how people's destinies hang in the balance, so we should contend for the truth itself. Paul highlighted how people's destinies hang in the balance, so we must contend for the right application of the truth. We see it clearly, I think, in verses 1 to 5, right? God brought this people out of Egypt. He, he baptized this whole community. He was distributing spiritual nourishment, even Christ himself, to this community. Many of them had true faith in Christ, but there were those who did not believe. God was displeased with these unbelievers in the covenant community and so killed them. The foremost example in Numbers 14 was in a battle. Now, unless we think this is simply Old Testament severity that has somehow gone away, in Acts chapter 5, God killed Ananias and Sapphira because they lied to the church. Unbelievers crept into the covenant community and sought to lead the church astray, so God killed them, just like in Numbers 14. And Paul explicitly said, in, to show, to reaffirm again uh, how this is relevant to today, Paul explicitly said in verse 6 of chapter 10, now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. So the event, this the set of events, is an example for us. We are supposed to learn from this, so that we are better Christians and a better church. The lesson is that we would not love evil like some did in Israel. The point is that some Corinthians were loving evil, right? They may not, they they may have known the truth, but they are starting to love evil, right? And rather than the main thing is that rather than using our doctrine for evil, we have to apply it through that rule of love. The rule of love is that we use it for the benefit of our neighbors, giving up some things on which we could insist, but looking for the good of the church as a whole. And so then our last point, responding now. And I want to pose two applications for us in this point. First, Related to the whole community, I I want to urge you, I mean, right, I, I've urged you this morning to, uh, to consider your doctrine well in months ahead. And now I want to urge you um, to try to attain your applications in a winsome way, right? And, Look to live out what you find in a winsome way. We, we have 
small group Bible studies in this church. And of course, you know, all of you have relationships uh, with one another, uh, even if they are entirely based on seeing someone on a screen right now. Please, you know, whatever situation we're trying to work out our doctrine into practice, please don't find a doctrine that, if leveraged a certain way, could then present your application as the only properly Christian view. Now, there are some issues where that is the case, right? And, you know, we're not relativists. But in some cases, that's an overstatement to make it so our way is the only Christian way. Regardless of either of those, right? You know, maybe it is the case that this is the only Christian application. Whether it is or it is not, still strive to be winsome rather than forcefully assertive regarding your view. Because that is the way that you will win your brother or sister rather than alienate them. A second, right? So the first was, you know, in your various relationships in our congregation, strive to be winsome as you apply truth. Second, as you, as you think about your relationship to the church, and as you think about various things that you wish your church would do, please be generous and patient with your session and the deacons too, especially for the doctrinal issues, right? Because we're thinking about applying doctrine. So especially for doctrinal issues that the session has to handle, right? We, as the elders, have the responsibility that we're talking about here to apply the truth according to the rule of love for all of you. If we don't, if we don't use the rule of love in our application, then people who have not yet come to true faith may be driven from the covenant community, which is the place where God works through his word to build his people in depth and in number. And so we, taking responsibility for this, we as the session could ruin weak faith by some serious misstep in application. Right. So please be patient with us as we seek to to do these things well. We want to hear from you. This is this is not this is not an exhortation not to tell us what you think. But we are the ones who will give an account to God for how we care for all of you. And so we are trying to do this well according to the truth and according to the rule of love. So pray for us in that and bear with us. And especially, right, in this ongoing season of COVID, we particularly value your prayers and understanding as, as we try, as we try to apply the truth in the best way. There are layers and layers 
of complexities and difficulties to living out the life of the church right now. The church knows and accepts that the government does not have the authority to tell us how to worship. We know that. Uh, we also know various truths about what should be the case in our worship, in the ideal. And still, we want to apply the truth according to the rule of love so that we love our neighbors properly and so that no one is alienated by or driven out of our covenant community, right? And so there are many opinions about what should be happening, I know. And we ask you to bear with us, pray for us, and to continue to support the worship and work of this church even when you think we have not decided issues perfectly. And at the end of the day, right, of course, the entire principle of the rule of love is grounded in the gospel. Christ perfectly knows the truth for both the doctrine itself and how it should be applied. Accurately and wisely. He is loving, patient, and kind with us, though. He did not, as Philippians 2 tells us, he did not insist on what was his, but indeed gave up everything for the benefit of others. The gospel is that Christ died, gave up his own life, in order to give life to others. And we may be exhorted to this at a small level. Christ truly did this, though, so that we would be rescued from the jaws of hell. In Christ, in contrast to the Israelites, in contrast, none of us with faith in Jesus will be thrown down or destroyed. God has promised us that. When we find ourselves in Christ, there we find real rescue and true safety. So we go to him as our Savior, trusting in him for salvation uh, and asking him to help us as we seek to live according to the rule of love. Let's pray. Father God, we've considered uh, how we do indeed need right doctrine, but we also need wisdom in how we live it out in our covenant community. We pray that you would help us with these things. We pray that you would give us diligence as we consider your word, that we would have passion and love for the truth. But we ask also that you would help us to consider well how we might live uh, properly in light of the truth but convince others of the right application in a winsome way rather than an assertive way. We pray for unity in our congregation. We pray that we would be uh, long-suffering with one another, that we would have good conversations, perhaps even about how we see things differently, 
but that these would not lead to divisions. We pray that you would bless us with that. It is an easy thing for churches to be split precisely upon these lines, and we pray that you would protect that, protect us from that. We ask that you would give us wisdom, each of us, as we look to do this in the week ahead, but we ask foremost that you would remind us of Christ, uh, in whom we find not only our inspiration for these things and example, but foremost we find the forgiveness of sin, for when we fail in this matter or any other, and there we have our acceptance with you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.